from Dennis Kramer, from Randy. God wants to give birth to more babies in this house. And God added to the number daily those who were being saved in that church in Acts. And as, you know, as we've gone through all of the, the, care, the four essentials, you may have realized or figured it out today, we're going to talk about the last characteristic of that supernatural family. And I'm talking today is what we're going to be devoted to is the apostles' teaching. God wants us devoted to the apostles' teaching. And he says in Acts 2.42, he says, They devoted themselves. Say devoted. devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. If I were to ask you, what are the signs or the characteristics of a spirit-filled Christian? I would get probably a lot of answers like, oh, a spirit-filled Christian, they speak in tongues, or, 
or they function in the gifts of the Spirit, and, uh, you know, they believe in healing, and they pray for people to be healed, and that's, the, that's what Spirit-filled people do, right? Well, those are all marks of a Spirit-filled life. They are the characteristics of Spirit-filled Christians, but when we look at our Bibles, we see a different list of characteristics. When we look at these first Christians in Acts 2.42, we see that the very first characteristic, the very first characteristic used to describe them, these supernatural followers of God, they were devoted to learning. Devoted to learning. These very, very full of the Holy Spirit people. These very full of the Holy Spirit Christians were deeply, deeply devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Number one on the list of characteristics of these spirit-filled Christians was that they were a learning and a studying church. Number one. Number one. Let that sink in for just a minute. I mean, let's think of the situation of these, these early believers, right? So, so the, again, the timeline is that the Holy Spirit falls on all these people in the upper room on Pentecost, like they've been up there praying and waiting like Jesus told them to do, and they're up there and they're praying and they're waiting, and the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost, and, and, and then they're all filled with the Spirit of God. They're full of Him. And then after they get full, they spill out into the street and Peter preaches this short little message, just this tiny little message. He gives an altar call and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus that day. And, And then what happens next, basically, is the Holy Spirit now opens a school in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has chosen the apostles to be the teachers in this brand new school of the Spirit. And there were 3,000 pupils now in the kindergarten. (laughs) These new Christians, they were under the reign, the rule, the leadership, the authority of the Holy Spirit. And as one who was under the rule and the reign and the leadership and the authority of the Holy Spirit, they wanted to learn. Being filled with the Spirit and being filled with God's Word, they go together. Ephesians 5 says in verse 18, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now the psalms, they are the very word of God. That's what we're talking about here. The Psalms were the very word of God, and when they were full of the Spirit, they were to use these Psalms, the word of God, and and hymns, and these spiritual songs, they were to use them to speak to one another. They were Spirit-filled, and they were Word-filled. 
I mean, let's look at Colossians 3, uh, 16. It says basically the same thing, but yet it begins with this obligation to let the word of God bear fruit in us. It says in, in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Everyone say richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching, say teaching. And admonishing, say admonishing. One another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Every truly Spirit-filled church loves and learns the Word of God. That is a mark. That is a characteristic. It is an essential. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, we will be full for love for God's Word. See, the family in faith, the family of faith in Acts, they were, they, they were not a, a group of people who hated learning. They were not anti-intellectualism. They didn't despise the mind. They didn't turn their nose up at theology. And they didn't think that, that instruction was unnecessary. They didn't think like that. They didn't say, oh, now that we've got the Holy Spirit, that he's the only teacher we ever needed. We don't need anyone to teach us. Human teachers, you're done. Thank you. These supernatural Christians, they sat at the feet of the apostles. And they devoted themselves to learning from the apostles. They devoted themselves to the teaching that the apostles brought, the instruction of the apostles. They were eager to learn. Say learn. Learn. They were eager to learn all they could. They knew, and listen, they knew that Jesus had authorized the apostles to be the infallible teachers of the church. And so they submitted to the apostles' authority. And we've got these 3,000 baby Christians And they were continually devoting themselves to God's word. As it came through the apostles. I mean, just think of these poor apostles. I mean, there's like 12 of them. That's it. I mean, there must have been like nights where they like just fell into bed and like, there's not another word I can speak. (laughs) 12 people educating 3,000. So the question I ask is, well, what did they teach? Was it the epistles? No. There were no epistles written yet. Was it the gospels? Nope. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had not written anything at this point. No biographies of Christ written at all yet. So what were they teaching? 
Well, the King James translation of Acts 2.42 says it like this. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And so what that means, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching about things like the fundamental tenets or the cornerstones of Christianity. They taught stuff like the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, they were there when Jesus preached it. Probably included uh, their own first-person account of the life of Jesus. I mean, they're probably telling all these wonderful stories about Christ and, oh my gosh, when he did this and, he, and then he told the story about the Good Samaritan and it blew everyone's brain and it was awesome and Sure, they were teaching Jesus's, you know, practical ways of living, ethical ways of living. I'm sure they were teaching warnings and about persecution. It's coming. They were teaching and warning about false teaching, like don't listen to the bad stuff. And we know that they were teaching the Old Testament. They were teaching the Old Testament as it revealed Jesus as the Messiah. They were going through Isaiah, and they were looking at Psalms, and they're like, this thing that Isaiah said, that was about Jesus. Psalm 22, Jesus literally said words out of Psalm 22 that was about him being crucified. And we know also from the word that part of the message that they shared, it was evangelistic in its focus. I mean, let's just, there's a couple of verses here. Let's listen to the content of, you know, this teaching the apostles did in these two verses. Acts 4.2 it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Oh, there it is, 4-2, sorry. Greatly annoyed. I'm greatly annoyed that I had the wrong verse. I'm sorry. <laughs> greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That's evangelistic. Teaching about how you can have eternal life through the resurrection of the dead in Christ. They were telling dead people, hey, You can have life. Acts 5.42, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's evangelistic preaching right there. The apostles were evangelists. They were bringing the message of Christ as the one and only way to heaven. It's the only way to get eternal life. So a lot of what the apostles taught was evangelistic in nature. So when we know what they're, what they're teaching, the next question I ask is, well, how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? How do we do that? How do we submit 
to their authority, the authority of the apostles, just like those first Christians did. Well, there's only one possible way. There's only one answer. The apostles' teaching has come down to us through the New Testament, which is precisely the teaching of the apostles. We devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles in the word of God. Now, I want to give us a perspective for a moment. It's a little bunny trail, but I planned for it, so it's whatever. I'm going to chase Peter Cottontail for a moment, but it's good. So we are a church <coughs> who believes that Jesus is still giving the gifts of the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And we believe that there are not only pastors in the church, teachers in the church, and evangelists. We've accepted those offices really well for a lot of years. But we also believe that God's still giving us prophets and apostles. And so for those of us who believe and receive certain people to be as apostles, we've got to have a perspective. Anyone alive today who functions as an apostle, and, and when I say apostle, I mean like a small a apostle, not a capital A apostle. So the, here, there's the difference for me. A, a capital A apostle is uh, the apostles of Jesus. The big guys, the ones who have their names, names like written on the foundation pillars of the New Jerusalem, those guys. <laughs> Your name's not on there. <laughs> Bill Johnson's name is not up there. No one else is these guys. Capital A, Apostle. Apostles of Jesus. There were none like them, and there never will be any like them ever again. They had a unique and a special place in history as the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, his ministry, and his teachings. So they were uniquely graced with bringing all of us, all of humanity for all of time, the full revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. So any and other all other apostles, they are small a, small a apostles. They are responsible to teach only the teachings of the original apostles. That means anyone that you receive as an apostle, whether it's Bill Johnson or Mike Bickle or Che Ann or Randy Clark or Francis Chan or whoever, they are subordinate to the apostles of the Bible. In fact, Paul warns us about listening to any kind of teaching that doesn't come from the original apostles. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there actually is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or even an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's heavy language. We even read about Timothy, Paul's spiritual son. Even Timothy, who was, who was Paul's spiritual son, we see that he was commanded to teach only Paul's teachings. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 tells us that. This is Paul talking to Timothy, and Paul says to Timothy, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, there is a certain authority that had been delegated to Timothy as Paul's representative in Ephesus. But Timothy's authority was to be subordinate to Paul's authority in two ways. On the one hand, when Paul says, command and teach these things, that meant that Timothy was to teach only Paul's teachings. That's what these things are, my things. That's what Paul's saying. Teach these things. Only, not your own stuff, Timothy, my stuff. And then on the other hand, Timothy would continue in this, this commanding and teaching ministry only until Paul arrived. Wait, sorry. There we go. Because he says, until I come. See, Paul said, You're, you got the job until I show up. Now we might say, Paul's got an ego problem. What pride that man must have. Don't you teach your own stuff? You teach my stuff. And then when I come, I'm not allowed to be here a preacher anymore? It's my identity now? Did I not do a good job? No. We're talking about real kingdom authority right now. Paul said, until I come, devote yourself. So whoever you believe to be an apostle, they are a little a subordinate apostle to the original. Modern day apostles, they must teach the doctrines of the Bible, not their own. And this is because this is what the early Christians devoted themselves to. I mean, obviously, you know, the Acts guys and gals had the benefit of learning directly from the apostles of Jesus. But Paul made it clear that it was only to be the apostles of Jesus that you learn from, that you preach. Now again, so what I'm not saying, I'm not saying is that we no longer need to listen to any teaching or preaching and only just read our Bibles and again, just listen to the Holy Spirit. I mean, start there, live there, do that. But I'm not saying that we don't listen to anyone else. That's equally foolish. That's equally unbiblical. What we are to vote ourselves to is the teaching of the Bible. 
and the teaching of the Bible through other gifted men and women. So, what does it look like to be continuously devoted to the apostles' teaching as found in the Bible? Well, I've got an acronym for you. This is going to make it easy. CGT. Everyone say CGT. CGT. Not CBT or CBC or CBD. CCD. If you're a Catholic, CCD. Anyone? Anyone remember? No former Catholics here? Thank you, baby. CGT. And here's what we're going to learn. You crave it. You grow in it, and you teach it. The backbone of a healthy Christian life is teaching. And Peter says that we should long for it. In fact, he says we should crave the Word of God. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, crave. Everyone say crave. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's good. He's good. See, teaching, teaching was the milk of the early church under the direction of the Holy Spirit. The picture that that Peter's painting for us is this is an energetic nursing baby starving for the milk of its mother. I mean, this is a great example for us to pursue. I mean, even if we've moved on to steak, it's the picture of being like that newborn who's desperate for my next meal. Wow, wow. It's amazing that Peter, and, and Peter's using family language. Here we are. He's using the family as, as the language to, you know, a nursing baby. That's in our families. And so this word crave, it's a very strong word. In fact, in the Septuagint, in the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In the Septuagint, that it's used for a man's deepest longings for God. In fact, in Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Craving, longing, Panting for, desiring the word of God is what every believer should have. All of us. A healthy new baby has an instinctive yearning for its mother's milk. So when things are right, you don't have to tell it to want milk. It just does. And for us, the failure to crave or deeply desire this pure milk of the word is the reason for so many problems in both our individual lives and in our church. 
I mean, even though Peter's comparing these uh, believers to newborn infants, Peter's not saying that they are immature in their faith. That's not what he's saying. By the time, in fact, by the time this letter uh, reaches his listeners, some of those guys have been Christians for 30 years by this point. So what he's saying is that all Christians are to be like infants in their longing for this pure spiritual milk, which again is the word of God. Peter's not telling us to stay baby Christians. Just drink milk. In fact, we're going to see quite the opposite in a few minutes. A rebuke about that. Peter is telling us to be like an infant who craves spiritual milk. Now, there's a lot of commercials that capitalize on cravings. I mean, White Castle has a crave case. An amazing crave case. I'm craving one right now. I know where we're going for lunch today. I know, baby. Don't even shake your head no. I'm a man. I'll eat what I want to eat today. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. But you know what? I mean, we, we, I mean, we say stuff like, I'm craving sweets, right? You know, pregnant women in the house, you know the power of cravings. Come on, right? I mean, we all, we all know what cravings feel like. We all know it's an insatiable longing for something. And Peter says, develop that insatiable longing for the word. I was reading an article on Habit.com about the science of cravings. And it talked about how cravings are what fuels our habits. When a habit is repeated over and over again and consistently delivers a positive reward, the brain develops a craving for it. You can think of Cravings like fuel for the habit loop. See, making, and it makes the routine become more and more and more automatic. In fact, cravings are what make a habit stick in the long term. For example, a lot of people who successfully lose weight begin to crave the accomplishment they feel after seeing lower number on the scale, smaller clothes they're fitting in. This craving for accomplishment, it fuels the various habit loops that contribute now to the weight loss. When a habit loop is not fueled by craving, it requires so much more effort. So much more effort to be completed. See, if, if you don't normally exercise and you don't go to the gym a couple of times every week, you most likely will find it difficult to continue that habit. Because, see, you haven't, re- you haven't experienced a reward cycle yet. 
You haven't experienced a reward worth craving. And this applies to every habit you have. Your eating habit, your exercise habit, your spending habits. All your habits, both good and bad, are driven by cravings. Look at your habits. Your habit of sleeping in, why? Because you crave it. Learn what you are craving or not craving, and you will be able to end bad habits and start good ones. Spirit-filled Christians are devoted to the teaching of the Bible because we have developed a craving for it. Just like Peter told us to do. If you will devote yourself enough, you may find some really rich rewards that you actually can develop a craving for the Bible. Things like peace and hope and joy, who would love some of that in excess? That's a payoff. That's a reward for diligently seeking God in His Word. These rewards that fuel our craving, and it should be fueling our craving for the apostles' teaching. Now, the next word is grow. When we are continu- continuously devoted to the apostles' teaching, we grow. Ephesians 4, verse 15, says, Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, which makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Everyone say love. Yeah. Everyone say build. Yeah. Say grow. Yeah. Grow. Yeah. We are to grow up. Say, I'm to grow up. Now, everyone say it. I'm to grow up. I am to grow up. We are to grow up in Jesus. We in, when, when we are continuously devoted to the apostles' teaching, you grow up. I mean, we've even got old Apostle Pete talking about growing up in the Lord. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow, say grow. grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. amen. One thing we know about babies who eat is they grow, they grow. Once we crave things like teaching the apostles' teaching, once we crave their teaching as an infant craves milk, then we can be sure we are going to grow. It's automatic. It happens. As we eat the Word of God, it becomes food for our spirit man. When we eat the Word of God, we grow up and we mature in our spirit man. And the Bible says it should be evident that you are growing up without your words. 
Jesus said in, tw- in Matthew 12, 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Does a tree tell you it's an apple tree? Yes. Not with words. <laughs> you look at that thing and go, apple tree. You don't, have to s- you don't have to hear it whisper, hey, I'm really an apple tree, I promise. You don't have to talk about it. You shouldn't have to talk about it. When we are spirit-filled and devoted to the apostles' teaching, we grow up and our fruit is visible. I mean, Luke says the same thing in 643. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. I mean, this seems logical, but this is about us. That's dull humans. You're not a bramble bush, whatever that is. I mean, you know, if you look at my son, David, you can basically tell how old he is just by watching him. Right? I mean, he, he looks and acts like a six-year-old. He thinks like a six-year-old. All observations point to David as a young boy around the age of six or seven. Now, if you walked up to David and you said, Oh, look at you. You're such a cutie. Oh, I bet you're about six or seven. And he says, Back up, lady. I'm 42. That would be crazy, crazy, and completely unbelievable, right? I mean, what if you went up to an elderly gentleman and, and asked him, oh, you know, hey, have you got grandkids? How many grandkids do you have, you know? And he said, what are you saying? I'm 13. Okay. Again, we would be alarmed. Okay, you are Benjamin Button. We finally found you. <laughs> it's the only world this works. Fantasy world. See, what you see and what they say, it's not matching up, is it? (laughs) David's never going to convince you he's 42. And my grandpa can't convince you he's 13. Same thing applies to your spiritual life. we, We may say one thing, but the proof is in the way we live. If we... If I went up to someone and who says they've been a Christian for over 10 years and I asked them, oh, how many people have you discipled? And they say, none. That tells me they're still a baby. They're still a toddler. Why? Because the fruit of the tree tells you how old the tree is. It tells you what kind of tree it is. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching means you grow up. You mature. Now I'm going to show a video by Francis Chan as a bridge between this point of growing and my final point, which is teaching.
and then we end up with a church that sucks. Well, that stung. Kind of like ripping a Band-Aid off. But you know what? Chan is right. We are stuck being perpetual babies and toddlers when in fact we should be teachers. Let's look at that verse in Hebrews again. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. By this time, you ought to be teachers. Being continually devoted to the apostles' teaching means we are to teach the word of God to others. Do you find that hard to believe? Listen to these scriptures. See what is expected of those who are devoted to teaching. Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching, say teaching, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, this wasn't written to professional Christians. It wasn't just written to the apostles of Jesus. This was given to you. This is your command, not just mine, not just Francis Chan's or whoever your favorite Bible person is. This is your command. Everyone has to do this command. And I don't care how old you are in the Lord. I mean, we already read in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing uh, one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Again, remember... Earlier, what I said that much of the apostles they taught was evangelistic. Everyone in this room should be able to teach someone about Jesus being the Savior. Everyone. All of us can teach someone how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Repeat after me. Our Father who art in heaven. That's because God's in heaven and he's your dad. How many years of being a Christian should it take to be one who can make a disciple and teach others? How many years? How many? If you've been a Christian for 20 years, I want you to stand up. 20 years or more. 
You've been a Christian for 20 years. All right, you can sit down. If you've been a Christian for 15 to 19 years, you stand up. Fifteen to nineteen. You can sit down. If you've been a Christian for ten to fourteen years, you stand up. Yeah, I'm starting to touch the next generation. I like that. Okay, sit down. If you've been a Christian for five to nine years. Go ahead and stand up. Awesome, ladies. You can sit down. How many of you think 20 years is enough time for someone to be able to teach God's Word? How many think 15 years is long enough? What about 10? Starting to feel like Abraham. Can you find five... Five-year-old Christians, God, can you find five-year-old Christians who will teach the word? Will you not blow this up? If I can find five-year-old Christians who will teach the word, I will not blow this thing up. What about five years old? Is five years in God enough time to be able to teach something to someone? And I'm not talking again about being a professor. I'm not talking about a Bible scholar. I'm not talking about that you're a five-fold office-holding teacher. I'm asking, is five years enough time to be able to teach another person the basics of Christianity? The fundamentals. I mean, the Hebrew writer tells us what the basics are. He says in Hebrews 6, verse 1, he says... Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Well, what are those? Well, he's going to tell us. Let us go on to perfection. And here's the basics. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. There's a basic. Or faith towards God. That's a basic. That's an elementary. Or the doctrine of baptisms. That's another. The laying on of hands. The resurrection of dead. Eternal judgment. Those are all basic stuff. And when the, when the writer of Hebrews uses those words, elementary principles, he is literally saying you should, these ABCs of Christianity, ABCs. He's not talking about calculus, not talking about, you know, advanced English. He says you should be able to do the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. That's what these words mean. He's saying you should be able to understand kindergarten Christianity. How long should it take for someone to be able to teach ABCs of Jesus? How long should it take to be able to teach kindergarten Christianity? You know, in other countries, when people get saved, they are immediately called and commanded to make disciples of their nation. You know, many brand new converts devote themselves, sometimes for just a year of their life, to being trained in the Bible. And then they're released to make disciples. And, and what these new converts do in some of these, like the 
China church and some in the Middle East, I mean, they devote four, six, eight hours a day to learning and studying the Bible every day in secret, hidden, underground schools of the Spirit. So they can be equipped to give the basics of the gospel to their fellow countrymen. And they still have full-time jobs, and they've still got your precious families. They've got all that stuff, and they're giving their lives for this. They spend every night of the week studying and learning because they are devoted to the gospel of the apostles. They are undone with the freedom of the gospel of Jesus. And they hurt to see their fellow citizens who are under the demonic oppression of communism, the the demonic oppression of Islam and false religion and, and humanistic atheism. They hurt. They hurt for the lost. So the cost of their time means nothing. It means nothing. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching, it's not a cost for them, except maybe their lives if they get caught. How long should it take for us to teach kindergarten Christianity? Hebrews says, by this time, by this time, you should be a teacher. I feel very confident in saying that it doesn't take 20 years. I feel very confident that it doesn't take 15 or even 10 years of being a Christian to be able to teach the basics. I think it's generous to say that after five years of claiming to be a Christian, that you should be able to teach the basics. I think it's generous. When I was 19 and I dedicated my life to Jesus, I immediately began sharing my faith with my friends. Immediately. I immediately started teaching them what it means to be saved. It's all I knew. It's all I had. And I gave it. I taught it. I taught them what it meant to be saved. And everyone in here can do the same. And I'm going to say something that's going to sting really bad. And I hope you think about it. If you can't tell someone what it means to be saved, then you are not saved. You're not saved. You are not going to hell or heaven. If you can't do that, because you don't understand what you've done. Well, I prayed a prayer. That's all there is, right? No. No, it's not. And God help your soul if you think salvation is just a prayer you prayed one day. We ought to be teachers by now. We ought to be teachers by now. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching means we crave it, we grow in it, and we teach others. So here's one practical thing you can do to be devoted to Bible teaching. Everyone in this room needs to subscribe to a Bible teaching podcast and listen to it every day, at least once a week, but really every day. And I'm not talking about a me-centered podcast. 
you know, like how to live in the blessing of the Lord, uh, you know, five ways to achieve your destiny, uh, you know, how to live your best life now. Those are fine. They're fine. They're encouraging. We need encouragement. But I'm talking about a Bible teaching podcast. I'm talking about a Bible teaching podcast that teaches you from the Bible and it teaches you about the Bible. Right now, my favorite is the Naked Bible podcast by Dr. Mike Heiser. <clears throat> now, you may not want to pick him as your first. Um, he's very scholarly, and uh, I only understand about 23% of what this man says. <laughs> and the rest is over my head. But I want to enlarge. I want to grow in my understanding of the Bible. So I keep listening, and I keep listening, and I keep listening. I mean, right now we're in the middle of going through the whole book of Exodus from beginning to end, every line, talking about its meaning, its history, stuff that I don't, I don't even understand. I don't even know what he's talking about. And I just go, okay. Oh, there was a word I understood. I, okay. <laughs> So here, I'm, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to put Alex on the spot, Alex Fulton, who's our discipleship pastor. I'm going to ask him to post on our Facebook page and our Facebook group um, some links to some podcasts that are some really good Bible teaching podcasts as options to help us. So we can subscribe and we can start listening. And no doubt, he's going to put up Francis Chan going to put up David Platt. He's going to put up there Dr. David Jeremiah. Those are amazing Bible teachers. There's some other good ones though. Beth Moore, Kay Arthur, Mike Bickle. I subscribe to his podcast. I love it. He does really good line upon line teaching and uh, you know, listen, I, I like podcasts about how to be a better mom, how to be a better dad, you know, how to have a better marriage, how to have less stress in your life. But our devotion, our devotion must be to the apostles' teaching in the Bible. We have to do this if we are going to be a supernatural family of God. He's called us and died and gave birth to a supernatural family of God that is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what he's called us to. So today, as you may have deduced at this point, we're going to do an activation. And guess what it's going to be? The gift of teaching. We're going to do an activation for the gift of teaching. Um, we see this in Romans 12. In Ephesians 4, it says in Romans 12, it says we have different gifts. Thank God. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. 
And then, of course, we've got Ephesians 4.11. It says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. So I just feel in my spirit that as we make a new commitment to being devoted to teaching, then I'm going to pray for those of you who feel that Maybe you've had it prophesied that you're to teach. Maybe you just have a, a thing in your heart to teach. Maybe God's calling you to be an equipping teacher. Um, I'm going to pray for us as a whole, and then I'll call you up for that. So let's just pray first and just seal the word of the Lord today. God, we just... God, I just repent again for not being fully devoted to the teaching of the word of God. And I ask that you, God, would forgive me for my lack of learning, my lack of love for learning. I ask you, Father, that you would forgive us for not devoting ourselves in this way. But God, now I'm asking that you, by the Holy Spirit, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just say, fill me, Lord. Just fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. Fill me, fill me, God. I need this filling to have the strength and the power to, to be devoted. So God, fill us today so that we may walk as devoted ones, that we, God, would crave the word of God that we would intentionally grow up in the word of God, that we would mature, moving beyond spiritual milk, so that, God, then we would teach the word of God to one another. So, Lord, I just ask that you would, you would bless this house today with that, that commitment, that devotion, that spirit-filling moment, God, that today we would be ones who would re dedicate our lives to the teaching of the Bible, that we would stop making excuses for discipleship, that we would stop making excuses for not reading our Bible, that we would stop making excuses for not listening to the teaching and preaching on Sundays, that we would stop complaining in our connect groups and in our home groups and wherever, God, that, oh, why do we have to talk about the Bible? Why do we have to discuss the Bible? Because it's your devotion. So forgive us, God, as we, as we shift this house, this family, as we turn us, God, back to the fundamentals and to the core, the essentials, God. Forgive us for the grumbling that we have to hear the Bible. We have to talk about the Bible. Forgive us, God. Put in us a deep love, a longing, a panting, a desire the teaching of God. And we say thank you for that, God. Just tell him thank you for his word. Just tell him thank you. I so appreciate your word, God. Words of life. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's bread for my life. God, we thank you for your word. We bless you, God, in Jesus' name.